Welcome to The Rock's Podcast. We are currently going verse by verse through the Gospel of Mark on Sunday mornings. We pray that these sermons encourage your faith. Now let's join Pastor Ross as we continue studying the life and teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are headed to a new chapter. We're making progress. Chapter 6, Mark's Gospel. Chapter 6, let's ask the Lord for his blessing. Now, Heavenly Father... We just always like to quiet our hearts and ask your Holy Spirit to uh, help us to clear the deck of distractions so that we can make room for the work of God now, the, the living word that's sharp and active. It cuts into our very hearts and lives and gets down deep where it can make a difference. Lord, let it make a difference today. Let it be different. Let it be life-changing in some ways, Lord. It's your word, and we are your people. We want to do your will. In Christ's name, amen. amen. Well, it's always a very intriguing experience to return to your childhood home, isn't it? Where your first memories were made, uh, those faces and places, a real sense of wonder. Uh, I remember going up to Ontario, Oregon, uh, where Barb spent some of her childhood. And we stopped in there and we w- went to a church where um, Barb's grandpa actually built the church. He pastored it. It was there that she heard the gospel for the very first time and sang her first solo. And uh, three years old. <laughs> so it was really good. <laughs> and uh, it's just so neat to interact with people who knew you then. You come back home. For me, I was... I was raised in New England, Southboro, Massachusetts, uh, is where I consider home. Uh, it's a historic town, just a very lovely place to be from. You know, you know, it was incorporated in 1727, but it was settled in 1660 by whom? The Pilgrims, Plymouth Rock. Close by, that's where it all happened. In fact, 100 years later, uh, the Revolutionary War was fought on the streets of our neighborhoods right there. The Minutemen, in fact, we have Heritage Day in Southborough, Massachusetts, where the Minutemen, who had to be ready in a minute to fight the British, you know, one if by land, two if by sea, Paul Revere, it's right down the street. And uh, so it's just an amazing place to be. And, and it happened every October, and October, the leaves are changing. Let me show you a picture. Now, this was on Southborough's website. I'm like, the horseshoe, that's our swimming hole. We lived about five minutes from there. And so we swam there every summer. And uh, there are bike paths, uh, mini bike and motorcycle trails back in here. And, and you just go riding for miles in this kind of uh, beauty. And you come into things like a grist mill. You know, uh, you just don't see that here, you know? Just beautiful place. Let me show you downtown real fast. I only got two more. Don't worry. <laughs> downtown uh, Southboro. 
And though we never attended the church, surprise, uh, that didn't stop my brothers and I from going into the church because there was a bell tower and that looked like a lot of fun. <laughs> and so we would sneak in, my brothers, my friends, there was an apple orchard right behind the church and we'd gather up the apples and we'd go up to the belfry and then we'd see how they would bounce off of this roof right here, right? Or, or we call them apple grenades. <laughs> I looked at a police officer and said, I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry, you'll have to guess who I looked at. Uh, and, and so, yeah, we called them apple grenades and, and bombed them down to the sidewalk where they exploded quite nicely. Now, <laughs> the pastor didn't know us, but I know he knew of us. <laughs> and I'm sure that he was praying for us. Well, let me just show you some wallpaper I came across, the last picture. Uh, but it just reminded me of South Florida. This is where I grew up. This is when I go back. I haven't been back about a handful of times. When I go back, it's grandma, it's Christmas, it's learning to ride a bike, it's my sixth grade uh, English teacher, it's apple grenades, it's, it's all of that. And so when it's time... For us to return home, we do so. We return with really a flood of memories and really a wide range of emotions. And I imagine, humanly speaking, on Jesus' human side, when it was time to go back to his childhood home, which is our text is all about, uh, that the same was true for him. A flood of memories and a wide range of emotion. How do we know that? Well, because we're told he was very emotional about the time when he went home. Let me show you what I'm talking about. He went home to Nazareth where he spent 25 years, from five all the way to about 29. He lived in a small, little, insignificant village called Nazareth. And he took the gospel there when it was time. And he was going to do what he did everywhere else to bring the gospel with its miraculous power to change and transform lives to those who are nearest and dearest. And we expect that if anybody would love and trust and open their hearts with a warm welcome, it would be those who knew him the best. But let's see what happened. Jesus left there, Capernaum, and went to his hometown. Spent 25 years, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in that synagogue that he spent all those years in. And many who heard him were amazed, but not in a positive way. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that's been given him that he even does miracles? Isn't this just the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to, to them, only in his hometown, among his relatives, and in his own house as a prophet without honor. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. 
And he was amazed. That's a flood of emotions. He was amazed, stunned, awestruck, God in a body, stunned at their lack of faith. All right, so we're going to leave that text up there. That's as far as we're going to get today. We're going to kind of ring this out for every drop of gleanings and encouragement for us. You know why? For me, anything that would amaze and bewilder the Son of God, who is the second person of the Godhead, if you're going to stun him and not in a positive way, I think we should get to the bottom of that so that we not repeat that error and find ourselves amazing the Lord in our unbelief and in some of our choices. And so cutting to the chase, that's what it's all about. Jesus so uh, bewildered at how they could choose um, unbelief over him. So Jesus comes home. Uh, there are four kind of... Um, lampposts along the way, if I could call it that. Jesus heads home is what we're going to talk about first. Then you'll see in the text that he begins to teach. Then we'll move on to the sound rejection. And then Jesus' amazement. And so let's just walk through this and see what God has for us. So Jesus heads home with the ministry team this time and doing what he's done all over the world. There's only one difference. It's the faces in the pews and in the crowds that are different. Now, these are folks who have known him for 25 years, as I said. And so scholars say that they probably moved back to Nazareth uh, when Jesus was four or five years old. You remember, of course, that Jesus was not born in Nazareth. Joseph and Mary are from Nazareth. A decree went out, Roman imperial decree, that you needed to, to go to your hometown to register for a census, even if you're nine months pregnant. So a four-day trip for Joseph and Mary, who was due uh, at any time. And that four days kind of helped the labor come. And he was born in Bethlehem because that was the town they were registering in. Now, of course, he had to be born in Bethlehem. And God has his ways to get them there because Micah chapter 5 and verse 2 says that the Savior would be born in Bethlehem. But, of course, Satan realizes that the savior of the world, who would be his conqueror, had been born as a vulnerable human being and decides to fan the flames of great King Herod, the great king, the great sinner, he should be called. And he is jealous of the new king that was born. He heard about the prophecies and decided, well, we'll just kill him. And so he ordered that every baby in Bethlehem in the region would be killed two years old and younger. And so Joseph was awakened at night by an angel that said, listen, political refugee time. Uh, we need to save Jesus, get him out of here, get him to Egypt. And so they took the gold frankincense and myrrh, how convenient, funded their little trip to Egypt for a couple years. And when it was safe, the same angel, it sounds like, came and said, listen, those who seek the child's death are dead themselves. It's safe to come back. And having been warned in, warned in a dream, he directed him back to his hometown. Now, Jesus is a toddler when they go to Nazareth. 
So now he's in Nazareth at the age of five, where Joseph is a carpenter and going to end up teaching him the trade there. And so Nazareth, let's talk about Nazareth. I got a picture of what it looks like today and where 100 people next year will go and see it. And that's, uh, I remember standing exactly there looking at the, of course, just the hills that our Savior uh, once walked. And so that's the hometown uh, right now. Thank you for that picture. It would be called today a one-horse town. 60 acres, 500 people at the time. Out in the boonies, out in the sticks. It had never been mentioned in the Old Testament or the New Testament. Of course, God would pick that town because he is for the ordinary person. God came for people who live in insignificant places and are ordinary folks like you and and me. And so, you know, Nazareth had that reputation of being like Needles, California. You know, Needles. Come on. I know one guy from Needles, and that's the only reason I know there's a Needles, you know? <laughs> so, you know, when Nathaniel goes to Philip, hey man, we found the Messiah's doing miracles. You should hear the way he talks. Yeah, where's he from? Nazareth. He goes, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Come on. And then Philip's famous answer. Come and see. Come and see. So he did. Now, others may have a disdain or distaste or refer to Nazareth in pejorative terms, but Jesus has a soft spot in his heart. Those are the hills he climbed. He skinned his knees on those lanes and in that place. He had cousins and best friends and uh, rabbi teachers and uh, Sabbath school teachers and neighbors and He grew up in that synagogue that he's standing at. He grew up there. That synagogue wasn't just used once a week. That was town hall. That was where you had bar mitzvahs and you had uh, the seven holidays. uh, Everybody gathered there. And so he was a part of all of that. And I just want to say, listen, what what an amazing thing. What an awesome privilege. Is there a higher privilege than this, that God chose that town and those people to manifest? Listen, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word that was God became flesh and dwelt among us. Who's the us? It's them. It's the faces seated in that Saturday morning worship service. God Almighty, incognito, the second person of the Godhead by whom all things were created and in him all things hold together. He poured himself into a human womb. Yes, 100% human. Yes, he had to be five years old. Yes, he had to lose his two front teeth. And yes, you remember that whole day. But he didn't have a father. His father was in heaven. And he was one with the father. And he came down from heaven and poured himself into a human womb. And out came the God-man with dual citizenship. One in a podunk town called Nazareth and one from the palaces of eternity in heaven. That's the gospel. That's the mystery That is the stumbling point for some people. 
a carpenter who can get slivers is the most high God who made the wood to begin with. This was trippy stuff for them, right? They're, they're going to be found to have no excuse. In fact, uh, they will be held in higher expectation for to whom much is given, much is required. So Jesus is there incognito, fullness of God in a human body, Colossians 2.9 says. And what's he doing for all those years? He's fixing doors. He fixed a couple of the seats in the synagogue right there, maybe an add-on too. He makes tools and tables and he's waiting and he's waiting. So when he was ready and God the Father was calling him and perhaps it was because Joseph had died when he was younger, Jesus. So Jesus is waiting to make sure he can establish until the youngest of all those brothers, four brothers listed, and we don't have the list of the sisters, are up and out and mom is squared away. He's 29. That would make sense. And he goes out to meet uh, John the Baptist in the wilderness there to be baptized. And he comes back. But, you know, the thing about being 25 years in Nazareth and living in tight quarters with 500 people like that, everybody knows everything. And, and he was made like us, so he was incognito in that he's fully human being. But he was without sin. So they watched a man in their midst for 25 years, never a crooked word, never a bad attitude, always other-centered, not for a week, not for a weekend retreat, but for 25 years, day in, minute by minute, for 25 years, a quarter century of moral perfection, perfect love, perfect holiness, perfect in every way. And they watched it happen. They saw that exceptional life lived out. That's God in a body. Now he stands in the synagogue where he stood at five, six, seven, eight, same synagogue, nine, 10, 11, 12. When he was 13, when he was 14, same rows of pews, same faces. 14, 15, 16, 17, when Jesus was 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, when he was 24, 25, 26 years old, still from when he was five years old, 26, 27, 28, 29, and then what happened? Everything got situated. Mom's fine. The business is fine. The sibs are up and out. It's time to go and save the world. And out he goes to the Judean uh, wilderness to be baptized and introduced by John the Baptist. And then we find out who he is. Oh, he's not Mary's boy after all. He's not even Joseph, the foster father's son. He says this, the heavens split open. He steps into the water. This is my son, says the father, in whom I am well pleased. The voice from heaven saying, I'm the dad. I'm the father. He's God the son, right then and there. So then from there, he goes and sets up shop in Capernaum. And everybody found out that the ties to Nazareth with a natural family are temporal. The reality is, 
<laughs> he is God the Son. And so he comes back, we're at point number two, and he's gonna be teaching in that same building and everything's the same, nothing new except the faces in the pew. Now imagine this coming back as Jesus, the Messiah. They're finding out that the guy, the carpenter from whom they bought a table is claiming to be God. That's an amazing thing. Now, preaching is different from many vocations. If you are a brilliant astronaut, you know, your mom and dad, your sibs, they can't come with you in the rocket and kind of see you do your thing. You know, they can't. A skillful heart surgeon, that'd be nice to be in the operating room and say, my son, the cardiac surgeon, like a lot of Jewish people say. (laughs) (laughs) But they may say it, but they never seen him (laughs) cut open a sternum. They can imagine it, right? And so, yeah, there are certain jobs here you can't, you know, uh, you, your, your parents or your siblings can't see you manage the assets as astutely as you do or fight even bravely on the battlefield. They just can't do it, but they can. Mom and dad, all your sisters, everybody in the neighborhood, they can show up to your first sermon. They can, they can attend the church that God has called you to lead and pastor and have some sense of spiritual oversight and servant authority over your siblings, your mom, your father. When I was 20, I preached my first sermon. The pastor was so gracious to me, gave me a Sunday. And up I was just out of my teens, and my mom, my dad, my sister, my two brothers, a couple friends came, right? My mom's comment is with me today. <laughs> and she said it endearing with a smile, and I took it with a smile, and it was endearing. But here's what she said. She said, oh, Ross, that was marvelous. All I could picture the whole time you were talking is you with your little pail and shovel and making your sandcastles on the beach. And I was like, really kind of taken aback by that. I was like, wow, that's what you got out of it. Yeah, like, wow, you know. But, you know, my mom was good-natured about the familiarity. It didn't breed contempt, right, because she became a believer and she ordered every CD that my voice ever hit, right? And the good Lord help you if that CD didn't get to her house in time, right? So I received that very lovingly. But I'll tell you what, there's a whole bunch of Nazarenes in those pews who could only see Jesus with a pail and some nails and one of these things. No, what are they called? Yeah, never mind. (laughs) Some woodworking tools. (laughs) That's all, a plane, right? Yeah, all right. That's all they could see, and they were stumbled by that. Familiarity bred contempt, a a mistaken contempt. And listen, familiarity only breeds contempt if there are contemptible people there. There is no reason why familiarity has to 
right? Because people are jealous and resentful, and I knew your beginnings, and I know how life is really, you know, then all of that starts to kick in. But there's no reason why if you know somebody intimately, you can't be, have more respect and admiration publicly for the person in private that you know. There's no reason for that, unless, of course, you've got <laughs> some problems, which they did. Let's talk about that. So Jesus standing there, all these faces, they all know each other, everybody's stories, and he's not intimidated. If ever his heart burned to get through to somebody, come on, I'm telling you what, I know the feeling of this. <clears throat> yes, I want the whole world to be saved, but how much more do I want people I really know and love and care about that we've invested in each other's lives? First Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. God, our Savior, Jesus, wants all people to come to the knowledge of the truth and be saved, right? How much more these people, these faces? So his heart's on fire, and he's not going to come in and lessen the message. He's going to come in and just do it all with with tact and diplomacy that only God could, you know? He's going to, and so your text says, and he began to teach them. He talked about sparrows and the lilies of the field. He talked about family matters. He talked about Adam and Eve. He talked about Jonah. He's talked about all kinds of things, right? But what got them, what stumbled them, was his authority. Remember, the crowds were like, Oh, we love this guy because he speaks with authority. Try bringing authority to your brothers and sisters and to people who helped you ride your bike the first time. And now you're coming in with authority. And you know, he said, listen, you can come to me because why? I am gentle and humble in heart. That was his nature. So he didn't come in guns blazing on the Lord. He, he came in in the most meek, that's Jesus, meek, loving, kind, firm. But he's on record for saying things like, um, I and the Father are one. He's on record for saying, I came down from heaven. He's on record for saying, when you look at me, you're looking at God. Philip. Remember, he said, hey, show us the father. And he says, have I been with you so long? He, what is he saying? I'm the father. If you're looking at me, you're seeing the everlasting father. And then he said things like, hey, you believe in me, you'll never die. He's saying this to hometown ears that just had a hard time with that and they stumbled. So we're on point three, the crowd's offended. Now, your verse there in verse two says, and most of the paragraph is about their offense. It lists five reasons or questions. <laughs> They're not inquiries for more information. These are the five reasons we're not buying what you're selling. That's exactly what they are. They're insults. They're pejorative in nature. Notice they don't listen, list his name. This man, it means this guy. That's what it means. It's this guy saying, this home, home guy from Nazareth that's walking around saying that he will decide who goes to heaven and hell. Maybe you should think back to when we had a teacher how to write and read. 
That was their attitude, right? And so they come up with these four or five objections of why they're stumbled. By the way, it says, and that's what those questions are. And if you don't agree with me, let me just prove to you. And they were offended. So the questions are saying, they're leading you to why they're asking these questions because these are the reasons we're not buying it. To, to take offense there is to stumble over, or the word is related to be scandalized. They were just like, whoa, no way. We're not buying this. They're amazed, but in a bad sense of that word. And they're saying, listen, the crowds, the city slickers up in Capernaum, out in Jerusalem, they, of course they're buying into this. They don't know you like we know you. Wow. Now we're seeing a little bit of what's going to go into the amazement uh, in the Lord. So listen, friends, if the, these were sincere questions, that there would be some really good answers and they could have, res they could have um, resolved their unbelief very easily. When they say, where did this guy get these things? That's what they're saying. Here's what they mean by that. He didn't get it here. Oh, he didn't go to any college here. He didn't get it here. We didn't teach it to him. So therefore, it's, it's invalid. He didn't get it here, and then he didn't get it anywhere. Well, we have to admit that it's coming from somewhere. It's a mystery. We just don't want to talk about it. We don't, we're not interested in the mystery. All we know is, is that he was just a carpenter here. That's what he's saying. Who is this? He's a carpenter. He makes wheels. And he's going to judge the world and sit on a throne. And whoever believes in him should never die. Listen, <laughs> I would have sympathy for them if he didn't grow up among them perfect in every way and exceptional. And if the scriptures didn't tell us he will be a Nazarene. All they had to do was check their Bible. There's a prophecy that says, Matthew points it out, the Messiah shall be called a Nazarene. Come on. Oh, well, what this thing is saying that he came down from heaven, he's equal to God in every way. Well, read your Bible. A virgin shall give birth to a son, a virgin, and he shall be called God with us, Emmanuel. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Almighty God. Okay, so now we've got a human baby, has to be born somewhere, and he's going to be called a Nazarene, right? And the reason they say, isn't this Mary's son? First of all, you don't call any Jewish man by the mother's name. You always say, Peter, Bar Jonah, son of Jonah. James and John, sons of Zebedee, the father. This was to point out, listen, we're Nazarenes. We remember when you guys were engaged and she got pregnant before the wedding. So is it this Mary's boy? We know the scandal, man. There were answers. There were answers to the question. Where did he get this? He said, I can only do what the father does who lives within me. That's the answer. I'm getting it from God. 
I can only say the words the Father God gives me to say. These works you see are not my works, but the Father who lives in me is doing his work. There were answers for this. In fact, Jesus said, listen, anybody can make these claims, but if I can do what only God can do, then you better sit up, pay attention, and trust me because my miracles evidence that my claims are accurate and true and reliable. That's the kind of thing that he was saying. There were answers for that. That's why I would say, listen, calm down, everybody. You lived among him 25 years. Notice anything exceptional? You guys ought to be saying, standing up and going, of course, Lord, bowing before him and saying, I knew it. I knew it. Who could be as kind and loving and morally perfect as you? We saw you 25 years, never, ever sin. Of course, this all makes sense now. Instead of becoming his greatest cheerleaders and saying it all makes sense and telling the world, yep, the whole Mary thing, the virgin gave birth thing, his sinless life, yes, we stand 100% behind him instead of that. They're tripping over themselves. They're small-hearted ways of not being able to accept the truth that is so ever so clear to them. And so it came down. He said, you know, I didn't come from Nazareth. I came down from heaven. And they just couldn't buy it. Here's what they say. You're a man like us. You're an ordinary man who got your start in an ordinary way among ordinary people in an ordinary family that's broken, just like the rest of us. Nothing special, nothing unique. And they hardened their hearts and their countenances fell. I can't explain to you as a pastor who's done this for 40 years, when there is somebody listening to the gospel who does not want to hear the gospel, they can express with their countenance and body language oh, in a way that is really, really intense. And you look at that person's face and you know they're just saying, I wish I were anywhere in the entire universe than sitting here listening to you. I would rather have my fingernails pulled out of their sockets. You think I'm kidding? Oh my. Talk to a pastor, ask him to tell you about that. And that's what they were throwing darts at Jesus. His loved ones throwing darts at him, rolling their eyes, snickering. The brothers, it said the brothers thought he was crazy. John chapter seven. They didn't believe in him. His own brothers until after the resurrection. They're elbowing each other. He's seeing this, throwing their head back, laughing. Oh, glory. You know, wow. And so Jesus was amazed. Now, friend, listen to me. He's the son of God. You and I, we've cut to the chase. We've got the New Testament. We know who he really was. We know that apart from him, anything that exists is by his doing. For him, through him, by him, from him. It's all him, right? And <laughs> for he to be rejected in that way, but to be amazed 
There is no record of our Lord being amazed at the things that absolutely blow our minds and leave us breathless. How about when he said, let there be the sun, moon, and stars. And the stars went into orbit in an ever-expanding and imploding universe with black holes. No record of the Son of God going, whoa, wow. No record when the volcanoes spew that orange lava and the billowing smoke, when the hailstorms come down and the oceans smash against the cliffs and tornadoes rip across the farmlands. There's no amazement. There's no amazement. Where's the amazement? Nowhere does it say that God is amazed at anything except when the gospel is plainly put forth in simple truth and man is given the choice between light and dark and right and wrong and heaven and hell and he chooses death and darkness and sin and God goes wow this is the word the word is to be in bewilderment And every time that someone, see, listen, who looks around at the creation and sees creation, the Bible says there's enough evidence of God's eternal qualities and nature to bring you to your knees by just looking. Then he says, the Holy Spirit convicts the world of his presence because they don't believe in Jesus. So the Holy Spirit's job in every human being, I don't care what's coming out of their mouth, I'm telling you what the Bible's saying. The Bible says that every human being, the Holy Spirit has convinced them that Jesus is true and living and alive and well. And in light of that, people's lives being changed. The word of God, prophecy, and your God-given conscience. There's a conscience. We all have a conscience that's screaming, what are you doing? That's the word of God. You're going to be in a a world of hurt. Don't do this to yourself. Your conscience is telling you. And so what amazes Jesus in light of all of that, with him saying, come on, come to me. I love you. Let's avert a tragedy beyond compare. Come to me. You don't have to do anything. Just trust me. Trust me. That's all you got to do. I did it all for you. Just believe, and it'll all be yours. And they choose no. And God goes, Wow. That's the word. And it's not lying and it's not exaggerating. Jesus, who cannot be stunned by anything, every time a sinner goes, I'd rather throw my whole family away, my career, for one moment of pleasure. Wow. You know, I'll take hell instead of heaven. What's really big to me is the gold in the ground. You dig through the dirt, I'll trade that. I want that rather than the treasures of heaven. And Gabriel and Michael, the angels, they're like, what's wrong with them? That's what he's saying. What if, come on. That's the heinousness of unbelief. Because listen, 
And I'm closing up here. Listen to me. Unbelief is not a sin of the intellect. It's not a want of information. It's a sin of the heart. It's a moral sin. The heart says, no, I want to be a sinner. I know what I'll have to lose. I don't want to have a Lord that I have to bow my knee to and, and be morally accountable to. So instead, the heart sinning morally prompts the intellect to say, I reject this, I don't believe. While in fact, there is an assent that these things are true. And yet there's a turning, a prompting, why? Because of the sin nature that amazes Jesus. Listen, as I wrap up here, I wanna amaze Jesus, but I already know that we can still amaze him when we do dumb stuff when we'd rather hear about gossip of a celebrity instead of hear the word of God. I think that amazes him. I think there's a lot of things we can do that amaze Jesus in a negative way. Like after all these years, really? This is how how you're gonna treat me after everything? Really, honestly? I think it amazes him. Uh, Here's what I wanna want, like Job. I want God to say, whoa, after losing that precious thing to you? Do you come to church? You give in the offering? You worship with all your heart after such tremendous loss, sickness, suffering, a bad marriage? Job. (laughs) Job, he was married. You don't know this. You know, Job's wife sees him suffering and he's worshiping God and she says, what? Holding on to your integrity? You're still a Christian? after how he's treated you, curse God and die. You know, that's a bad marriage. (laughs) That's a bad marriage. And what did he say? Hey, listen, wife, should we only accept the good things from God? Just because I have bad things in my life, does that change a thing with God? That he's good, that he's God? Nothing changes, only except I'm suffering. So naked I came in, naked I'm going out. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And God goes, wow, I'm writing about this guy. (laughs) Get a pen and paper, angels. We are writing about this. This is amazing. Get a load of this. And then then he says, listen, just for fun, let me make the last half of your life better than the first half just because you're an amazing dude. Wow. That's the kind of guy I want God to be like, whoa, wow, look at that. Up so early, but even though you're not a morning person. Wow, that's, <laughs> I saw so many elbows flying there. <laughs> whoa, listen. Yeah, I want him to say, wow, you gave a lot. What is, what is, what's wrong with you <laughs> in a good way, right? Oh, wow, you didn't respond Somebody was really rude, and instead you responded kindly. Why? Because in the moment you said, I'm going to love Jesus right now. Jesus, are you watching this? Because I'm going to do this, not because I like the person, sorry, (laughs) but because I love you, and I want to make you happy and put a smile on your face. So watch this. And they slap you, and you go, hey, you missed one right over here. Go about that. And that's all that means is you kind of roll with it and not let it get to you. Why? Because you want to amaze him. Right? Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we just, we're just 
have so much fun and joy and excitement with your word. It makes us alive. It makes us think about important things. And it convicts us. Lord, we don't want to be anything like these small-hearted individuals. Cause you a lot of pain and hurt you. Instead, we want to cause you happiness and bring joy to you, Lord, for all the joy and happiness you brought to us. Minister to our hearts as we worship now. In Christ's name, amen. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.